0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Once again, we are in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Philippians chapter 1, picking up where we left off uh, one week ago, actually. I was not here on Wednesday. Sorry about that. appreciate uh, Bob the Son filling in, B3, as we call him. I think he's starting to dislike that, actually. But in any event, do appreciate him uh, filling in for that. Appreciate your prayers. Don't know what why those migraines come, but they do, and there they are. All right. For this morning, though, Philippians chapter one, as we continue to, uh, I think, tie together the last details here in in uh, taking us down through verse eleven. Uh, talking about re- uh, uh, love abounding in verse 9. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. And we're learning how to approve. And uh, the verb for approve and the things that are excellent and the vocabulary involved here in this verse, I think spell out a lot of things that are vital for us uh, as New Testament believer priests, but also are under attack. Because we're expected to have discernment, we're expected to use the Word of God as a criteria, and we're expected to make judgments. And we have to approve, and which means if we are approving the excellent things, what are we doing to the non-excellent things? We are disapproving the non-excellent things. And so the whole idea of approval includes in it disapproval, right? And, uh, and yet that's the issue, and uh, this world hates that. And uh, approval is great, but you've got to approve everything as far as this world is, is concerned. And so even the things that you don't personally approve, you still have to say are valid for somebody else to also personally approve them. And that's the unbiblical approach of, of pluralism and the, and the kind of the insane world in which we live. So uh, hopefully I'm preaching to the choir this morning. If not, we'll uh, have to make some adjustments and, uh, and explain things maybe in a, in a better way. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside our distractions asking uh, for his faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before your throne of grace this morning, thankful for your truth, thankful for your faithfulness, and Father, realizing that day by day, moment by moment, we are Uh, recipients of your grace and your mercy we don't deserve to be here and yet here we are and in your grace and your faithfulness father you've laid before us a time of study we want to redeem this time uh, to the maximum we want to concentrate Uh, we want to uh, love you with all our heart mind soul and strength so father uh, set aside the distractions keep us uh, focused keep us concentrating father might we fix our eyes firmly upon jesus the author and perfecter of our faith And we thank you, Father, in his most precious and holy name. Amen. All right, as far as we've outlined uh, this uh, uh, development, we've come to main point 10. Verses 9-11 through is being outlined under main point 10. Paul followed his Thanksgiving offering with an intercession for the Philippians' ongoing ministry. And so we have the content here from verses 9, 10, and 11. It does deal with the uh, abounding of of agape love. We took the time to understand Parasuo for abounding. And uh, the aspect of agape love that abounds not in the emotions, not in the feelings, not in the sensitivities not in the compassion, not in the anything emotional. It's real knowledge and all discernment. And we want to understand that agape is not an emotion. Agape is a thought process. Agape is a mental attitude that is God's mental attitude. God is love, and we've got to recognize this, in full knowledge and all discernment. And so we took the time to break down epinosis and what what turns gnosis into epinosis, all right? It's not more gnosis. You can't pile more gnosis on top of more gnosis on top of more gnosis and eventually get to epinosis. It's not as if 10 gnosises make an epinosis or 20 or 100 gnosises. All right. If you got gnosis times 100, that's still just a whole lot of gnosis. What you got to mix in is you got to mix in agape love. All right. In real knowledge and all discernment. And so the the key is, I think, to uh, understanding this is that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And that great principle that we had back in uh in the first Corinthians series, you might remember from First Corinthians eight one, and then the definition of agape love in First Corinthians chapter thirteen. And so dealing with that, so so we have uh full knowledge, now we have discernment, we have the abounding love, and, and, and love is abounding more and more and more. Uh so what? Okay, now what? What do we do with all this abounding love? We got pockets full of love, we got pockets full of this abounding love. What do we do with it? What is the purpose of having all this love? And is it, is it something that we're expected to have just so that we can have it? Or are we supposed to do something with it? What does love do? All right? And in this application, there are other applications for what love does, and there's a whole definition, and of uh, of agape in 1 Corinthians thirteen that tells what it does, what it doesn't do, and uh, and so forth. But here in this development, the one thing that Paul is praying for that agape does, and it does it very well, is it equips us to uh, to rightly divide. It equips us to uh, demonstrate the differences. All right, the appraisal of abounding agape allows us to demonstrate the differences, and that's what we do whenever we. Highlight the things that differ. And we spotlight the things that are excellent. And that's the vocabulary here as we deal with the excellent things. The things which differ. What makes this day different than other days? What makes this different? And by so different, we're talking about special, unique, uh, superior. All right? <gasps> okay, I know. I'm on shaky ice, right? Or thin ice. Shaky ground. Whenever you start to make value judgments that there's something superior and there's something inferior... Okay? That totally flies in the face of pluralism today. Everything is equal. All cultures are equal. All, all thought processes are valid. And no one is better than any other. Well, no, the truth is better than a lie. All right? That's, that's absolute. And uh, we want to defend that as the Scripture defends that and presenting it in this way. So uh, the imperative that we have is to documazo, And you and I are expected to documazo, And this is a verb... Uh, we 've taught it in different series in different times past uh, oftentimes when we teach dayamazo it 's in a contrast with Peirazzo all right i 'm not going to do so much of that this time around, but Peirazzo is the verb to tempt okay? and so, sometimes they 're both rendered test uh, as an English translation for testing. Um and it's unfortunate when, when they get muddied that way a little bit because the perazzo testing is, is never good. The the God may work it together for good and he may use it for good, but uh the Peirozzo is designed by the tempter to to bring about your fall. Perrazzo is always designed to cut you down and tear you down and, and spotlight your failures and show you what a loser you are and, and things like that. Peyrazzo is is always a negative thing. And God will never do that. God himself never tempts, and God himself cannot be tempted by anyone. And we have principles of Scripture that lay that out. Satan is called ha-perazon, the tempter. He's not called ha-dakimazon, the tester, because dakimazo is always positive. Dakimazo is testing for approval. Dakimazo is the demonstration of approval. That's where you're standing in front of everyone with your samples saying, here, taste this, this is great. And uh, look at this and do this. It's, it's the positive demonstration of that which is approved, right? It's like uh, putting a sticker on, uh, you know, the Fruit of the Loom's underwear or something. It says, inspected by number 44 or what, what have you. And it says, this product meets approval. And uh, that's what it's about. So Dokimazo speaks to that. You can find it in secular Greek literature uh, in the ancient world related to blacksmiths. If they were forging metal, if they were going to craft a weapon, if if the uh, the quality of the metal didn't didn't pass the documazo test, then that weapon never got finished. They wouldn't finish forging it. There's no point. the The metal is inferior. They would scrap it and start over. And that's uh, kind of a neat principle as it applies to us. God is in the business of testing us, but He's in the business of testing us for approval because that's what God does. And so um, there's there's more that you can look at beyond these verses. There are 22 uses of Docimazo, and I think I gave you. 18 of them or 17 of them, and I gave you a fair number of them, did not give you the noun document, did not give you the adjective document, those are cognate forms that would also be uh, a worthwhile study at at any point if you wanted to pursue those uh, as well. But for this morning, I just want to gain new ground and move on uh, through this and beyond this. Uh, I believe we've covered Romans and 1 Corinthians, and we're ready now to take the rest of the slide and uh and and evaluate these things. And if, if I'm wrong on that, let me know, because I'm having memory issues this week. <laughs> All right. But near as I can tell, um, and, and I might even spotlight some of my favorites. So let's do Romans 12, 2 and Romans 14, 22, and then uh we'll jump ahead to to Second Corinthians. Simply because these are so easy to find and they're so well known. And uh Romans 12, uh I can probably squeeze Romans 12 into any sermon anytime anyway, but it's a, it's a powerful chapter, and the principles are so vital uh, for the church age. Romans 12:1 and 2: I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. This is our Christian walk. You and I are here to pursue this. Uh, we have a priesthood, we're studying that in Hebrews, and we offer ourselves not dying sacrifices, not dead things, that's Old Testament. Jesus died once and for all, now He lives, He ever liveth, right? We now live, and we live in Christ, and our life now is a living sacrifice, living and holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. When you conduct your Christian walk day by day, seven days a week, as unto the Lord, that's worship, okay? It's not a singing function. It's not a music function. It's not something you do, you do in a room, in a worship center, on a worship day, all right? It's all day, every day when you're conducting your daily life for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's your spiritual service of worship. And do not be or stop being conformed to this Ion, this age, this world in which we live, and specifically the age of the world in which we live. Stop being conformed to it. It is conforming, so stop it but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's why you're under teaching, and that's why you're with humility receiving the word implanted, and you're allowing the word of God to do its work. It shapes you by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove. And here's our documazo. And again, it's the purpose clause. Documazo is the purpose clause of this passage. Like documazo is the purpose clause of our passage this morning in Philippians 1. Why do we want to have abounding love? Why do we want to have that? So that we can monzo. Why do we want to have our minds renewed? So that we can Monzo? You see how this works? And so uh, put these things together. Put the uh, Romans 12 emphasis together with, uh, with the Philippians 1 emphasis, and we can study to show ourselves approved, and we can go to God in prayer and ask for that abounding love. And uh, in both ways, we can have that purpose clause of, so that you may docimozo. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, we're not just living out the will of God, we're proving it. We're demonstrating it uh, for men and angels and, and, uh, and everyone that's watching. So that's the the impact there. Uh, Romans 14 is another one. Again, it's easy to find and it's uh, well known and I think it's vital in our Christian walk. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. I love the fact that the Word of God trains you how to think, and then God expects you to think, and He expects you to apply the, the, the criteria of Scripture to your daily life, to your personal decisions, to the convictions that you come to, and uh, with respect to every aspect that that is a legitimate, doubtful thing or a, a, a matter for personal discretion when it comes to the discretionary will of God. And it says, the faith which you have, have is your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he documazos, in what he approves. And so uh, you come to the faith convictions in, in your own application with respect to these uh, these aspects, and, and one believer may decide something that another believer decides the opposite. Uh, there may be a brother that decides not to dance, or not to drink, or not to smoke, or not to Whatever it might be, and then there's another believer that says, "Hey, I can drink as long as I'm drinking in moderation. I'm not, I'm not going to drunkenness. I'm not violating the scriptures there." And and so they they make the application on these things, and they come to a conviction, and that's what chapter 14 is all about. That's what chapter 15 is all about. And the neat thing is, is the Word of God equips us to do this, and God expects us to do this. He wants us to grow up, and so we don't have a cult where you're told how to, uh, what to think. We have a, a biblical Christianity whereby you're equipped how to think. And that's all the difference in the world. What a, what a, what a privilege, say, with respect to that. So we have the, the Documanzo application there. All right. Well, then, uh, those are the ones there that we've covered them already. And we get into First Corinthians 3.13, 11.28, 16.3. 2 Corinthians, um, I think before we ran out of time, uh, we might have hit these, Second Corinthians chapter 8. Anybody remember? Yes, no, maybe so. All right, 2 Corinthians 8.8 and 8.22. All right, 2 Corinthians 8. And with respect to funds that were being put together for Jerusalem and the, the Macedonian churches had done this and the Corinthians were being welcomed to get on board if they could do so in the right attitude, all right? If you can't give with the right attitude, don't give. God doesn't want it. And Paul didn't want it. He laid it right out there. But if they can give with the right attitude, then they're welcome to take part and to uh, participate. And so uh, he says in verse 7, just as you abound in everything, this is 2 Corinthians 8, 7, just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also and so with abounding love as per philippians 1 now they're qualified to engage in abounding work all right and so there it is interesting to have philippians so connected to second corinthians in uh, in this way he says in verse 8 i am not speaking this as a command but as docimazo as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also and so proving you holding up Philippi, holding up the Macedonian churches and saying, this is the standard. And if you can give like that, then you will be also documazoed to engage in this, uh, in this ministry. Because Philippi was the, was the benchmark. They were the gold standard in that regard. Alright, uh, same chapter down to verse 22 with regard to, uh, we still don't know who this guy is. We have sent with them our brother whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things. Could that be Luke? Could that be... Uh, who is he talking about there? Whoever he is, our, our brother, whom we have often dokumazod and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. All right, so whoever that brother was, he has frequently been dokumazod. And that's uh, the reference there. All right, um, over to chapter 13. In the conclusion here, and this uh, is a bit of a a forceful application when he says, test yourselves. There was a crowd within uh, Corinth that uh, was pretty hostile towards Paul and uh, whether or not he was even uh, an apostle, whether or not he was even saved. (laughs) And he says, hey pal, test yourselves uh, to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you fail the test. And so there's the use there. I don't spend a lot of time on that, and I certainly don't think that's normative. I wouldn't want to take a passage like that. It's fairly unique, or it is unique in Paul's writings uh the kind of a normative thing that i wouldn't i wouldn't take it to that point we don't we don't have tribunals where we test one another to make sure you're truly saved uh i I will sit down and listen to your testimony and hear how you came to faith in christ and uh and be blessed by it i will always appreciate anyone that tells me how they came to to faith in christ i love hearing those stories and then beyond that do we have a do we have a is there some additional test we can put them through uh, do we try to gauge uh, based on this passage some kind of a external criteria or things like that um, no that 's uh, <laughs> not what I believe the New Testament would have for us to do. All right, you name the name of Christ? great. I accept you as a brother, and i 'm going to hold you to that standard because uh, the uh, the one who names the name of Christ has expectations and uh, and uh, that 's uh, that's a good thing as well. all right Galatians six four Galatians six four. Part of uh, we were here not that long ago in the conclusion of our Galatian series. This is the bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ imperative. Remember that, and uh, but it says each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. So that was a documazzo application we had there. And if you got your Galatian notes, you can, you can review those. Ephesians 5.10 Ephesians 5.10 um, and, and interesting, because here's a, here's a translation that wouldn't necessarily jump out at you as a documazzo use, and yet that's what it is. And maybe we should think of it in, in more of a documazzo evaluation and, uh, and uh, and maybe bring it into English in a a better way than than they've done here, all right? And so here's the uh, Christian way of life described for us. Do not be partakers with them in verse 7. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Welcome to the family. Happy to have you. Now, walk that way, okay? You name the name of Christ. You're a believer. For the fruit of, of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And notice that's not how you earned and deserved getting saved, okay? This is now that you are saved, now there's fruit that uh, God is working through you, all right? Did that, do, did that happen Wednesday with Bob? No, it's just me. All right, gotcha, all right. Goodness and righteousness and truth. And that's not something that, uh, that you're going to produce yourself to earn being saved. This is what you're going to produce as the Holy Spirit works through you now that you are saved. You're, you're a believer, you're walking in the light, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to bear that fruit of the Spirit as an expression. And then it goes on to say, proving what is pleasing to the Lord. Demonstrating what is pleasing to the Lord. That trying to learn idiom. It's, uh, I think we can do better. I think we can translate it better with everything else that we've been looking at here with, with Docuimazo. Is it, uh, is it, is it, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but trying to learn. Like it's a, I'm a mouse in a maze, and I'm kind of exploring through looking for the cheese or something, right? And I try this door, and, and I get zapped, so I don't try that door again. And I try this door, and I don't get zapped, so I, I move through it. I'm a little bit closer to the cheese now. The smell is getting stronger. And, and so I'm trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And it, it almost sounds trial and error and iffy, and, what, and and that's lame, all right? That's not New Testament Christianity. Okay, But dockimansowing what is pleasing to the Lord, proving what is pleasing to the Lord, demonstrating what is pleasing to the Lord, living out your walk in goodness and righteousness and truth—that is the fruit of light—demonstrating what is pleasing to the Lord. And that's, I think, a much better translation there in Ephesians five ten. And so, and then it goes on: Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Wow. All right. So get me going. This is a this is a long chapter, and there's a lot in here, and there's a lot that flies in the face of our culture right there in just those few short verses, okay? Because, uh, again, if we're going to be distinguishing between the excellent things and the non-excellent things, then those non-excellent things, some of them are so non-excellent, some of them are so out of the realm of, of decency that not only do we not do them, it's not even pleasant to talk about them, it's not pleasant to even think about them, but we have to teach the truth, we have to speak the truth in love, and, and there you have it. And so, uh, um, and it's not legalism. It's not that we don't have this list of do's and don'ts just for the sake of being a goody two-shoes and doing this and not doing that. No, it's, it comes down fundamentally to who we are in Christ. We are children of light. As a result, then, this is our corresponding mode. This is our walk of light. And the reason why we don't do those other things, it's, it's just just—it's—it's it's, it's unthinkable to our new nature in Christ. That's our old nature in Adam. He didn't have to go to the cross for me to do that. Okay, He went to the cross so I can be freed from all that. I want to walk now for His good pleasure, for His glory. And uh it comes down to those issues as well. So there's no legalism in uh, in any of those things, all right. Philippians one ten is our passage today. We don't have to turn there again, but First Thessalonians two four. There's two uses there in the same verse. First Thessalonians two four. In um, a neat uh, development here, this is like Philippi. Thessalonica is a Macedonian church. They're 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 neighboring. Uh, areas there in the in that province. And uh, very tender with uh with these believers. Talks about uh the fragrance of memories and, and thinking back to when they were with them and and um, I'm headed for verse four here but verse one says you yourselves know brethren that our coming to you was not in vain but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi as you know uh, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition, and that's that's a pattern. I love that. You know, is the heat getting? Uh, is the heat ramping up? Don't back down. <laughs> okay, if uh, if the heat's ramping up and there's conflict, that's that's a good indicator that you're pleasing to the Lord. You're not pleasing to the adversary, and keep doing what you're doing. Serve Him. Don't back off now. Have more boldness to speak the gospel of God amid. Amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And that's the first of the two uses there. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And we realize that God himself does this approval process and he does so. You want to be effective in ministry? You've got to meet God's approval. You've got to measure up in God's a preparation and training and and all that that god pours into you to to be of service remember uh being saved is grace and, and your gift is grace but ministry opportunities okay now we start talking about diligence and faithfulness and preparation and god will reward faithfulness and he will open doors for faithfulness he will not open doors for unfaithfulness He will not reward uh, the the, the believer that's not studying to present themselves approved. Ministries are awarded on the basis of faithfulness. And here we see it. Approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who, documazzo, examines our hearts. And uh, so much that that goes into that. All right, chapter 5 and verse 21. Just a few more of these. Part of, uh, I think, uh, uh, an issue uh, in different flocks. Verse 19, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Dokumazo everything carefully. And the problem is, is you can actually quench with the Holy Spirit's teaching if you think you know it all. If you think you've already heard everything, or, well, I don't have to hear what this person has to say because I've already heard it straight from Uh, you know, Pastor Bob, or I've already heard it straight from Ralph Braun or Colonel Theme, or whoever. And so because I heard it straight from the source, I don't have to listen to anybody else. Well, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit is teaching. The Word of God is going forth. Are you not humble before the Lord? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. That was, of course, when prophecy was still active. Verse 21, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. And so we're supposed to have a a discernment as we're in Bible class, as we're studying to show ourselves approved. Don't just believe it because I said it. I might be uh, out there. I might be having a migraine or going through an amnesia thing. I don't know what I'm talking about. So you better trust in the Holy Spirit to teach you the Word of God and uh, hold fast to that which is good. All right, and so that's the uh, the use there. First Timothy three 10. 1 Timothy three deals with overseers and deacons. Verse ten is uh, in the deacon paragraph. That's eight through thirteen. All deals with deacons. Two through seven is dealing with overseers. And uh, the overseer cannot be a new convert, and that's the expression in verse six. Not a neophyte is the Greek. And so uh, you don 't want somebody that just got saved yesterday pastoring the church tomorrow okay he 's got to grow up he 's got to learn he 's got to grow he 's got to train his gift he 's got to to prepare to shepherd a flock and so you don 't want a neophyte as an overseer In, uh, for deacons, the term is slightly different um, conceivably, a neophyte could be a deacon, and if you 've got a if you've got a very young flock where everybody's a bunch of neophytes, well, then chances are uh, you're going to have one or two that are going to be serving in that servant capacity, all right? It's not a deal breaker if they're a neophyte, but they must be tested, and that's the key. And so um, in verse 10, it says, These men must also first be, dokiimazo tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And so the application there, and you you watch how they serve, you watch how a deacon serves, a man serves, and a woman serves uh, for the office of deacon or, or deaconess. And if they're faithful, there you go. That's the, uh, that's the requirement. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 7. Two more, and uh, we're done with Paul's uses now. Paul's the author that really uh, majors in, uh, in this vocabulary. But Peter had a use, and, and John had a use. So... Uh, 1 Peter 1 7. If I can find 1 Peter this morning. And um, so that. Purpose clause. All right. Where do you pick up this context? The. Um, Verse five says we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, and in this he greatly rejoices. So it's fun to be saved, and it's fun to be saved and left in this fallen world. Okay, we're not—we uh, don't immediately believe in Christ and then get brought up into heaven. Okay, I mean, if that was the case, then who led you to Christ? No, no, no we're we're saved, and we're left in this fallen body, and we're left in this fallen world. We have this treasure in earthen and vessels, and so. Uh, thankfully we're secure, we're protected, we have eternal security and, and uh, we have testing. And it says that, it says here uh, in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, and it is, you have been distressed by various trials. Isn't that great? And what I like about the fact, and and uh, I have to double check on the Greek on that, it could be perasmos there. I, it's been a while. Uh, but it's perasmos there, and then it's dokimazo, or dokime in uh, in verse 7. And so we have trials, we have temptations, we have struggles, and yet God tests us for approval so that the proof of your faith, the dokimazo of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And and there's a whole sermon there, okay? A whole realm of doctrine there because believers don't like testing; they don't like bad things, and yet that's what tests their faith. That's what approves their faith. And it's a beautiful thing. It's more precious than gold. I love the fact that uh, you know human beings call gold a precious metal, and God calls it a perishable thing, okay? And uh, He says, "Want to know what's more precious? The testing of your faith." The testing of your faith glorifies Jesus Christ. The testing of your faith resounds for all eternity. Gold, that's going to be gone. It's a perishable thing like the rest of the physical material universe. All right, so that's uh, that's the application there. And then finally, 1 John 4, 1, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And uh, John used this in uh, his epistle. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Just this morning I saw there's a book out that um, they're trying to redefine faith, trying to redefine pistis and pistuo and you know we've gotten it wrong all this time and, and if this author's right then we're on the verge of completely uh, undoing the Reformation. The five solas have to go because we've been misdefining uh, uh, faith this whole time and believing this whole time. We've been getting it wrong this whole time. And so uh, if if this book catches on and it becomes a trend, I think it's, it, it may go very far. Um, it's, it's popular in, in, uh, in, in all the right places. So it will sell a lot of books, it'll drive a lot of, of radio shows, um, and it will serve, they, they're talking about this as a good thing, it's going to serve to, to finally fold all of Protestantism back into Roman Catholicism, all right? So we can all be Back together where we belong in uh, in the whole Western Church Christendom kind of thing. Anyway, um, so they would uh, they would uh, not like this, uh, but we need to we need to use First John four. And when you're reading garbage like that, read it and know it for what it is. All right. And uh, when a spirit comes along that's uh, not from God. If it's a false prophet that's gone out into the world, then you can spot it and say, "Hey, the spirit of truth within me is testifying that uh, that's not what the scripture says." All right, because I know what the scripture says. I know what faith is, and uh, there it is. All right. So that's First John four So that's our documazo, All right, and so we are equipped. We should be documazo-ing everything that we do in 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 doctrine, in, in secular life, in, in spiritual life. All of that. We are equipped. And, uh, and this is why we want the, the epinosis, when we want the abounding love. We want to be uh, so intimate with God, with that abounding love, that the dokimazo becomes a no-brainer, <laughs> all right? I mean, how well do you know your father? Do you know, uh, do you know what pleases him? Do you know what angers him? Do you know what flavor ice cream he likes? Do you know, I mean, how well do you know him? And the better you know him, then uh, that's, that's what it's about, isn't it? In terms of docimazoing we want a Doimozo with the criteria he docimazos with and uh, and that all right, so that 's uh, docimazo now the excellent things the excellent things are the things that differ, the things that differ all right and uh, you got the furrow part of Christopher, uh, but you you stick a dia in front of it dia pharaoh is the is the term, and it 's a compound Pharaoh means to bear dia. Uh, is used in different ways to, to divide, to cut through. If you think of a, of a, a diameter, maybe that would be the best thing. You draw a circle, and then you got a diameter in the, in the middle of the circle, right? And uh, so when you drew that diameter, what did you just do? You just split that circle in half. And so we got this half and that half, and, and now you are able to differ, and you're able to identify the differences. And so uh, there are differences, and, and with respect to things that are different... Difference, differences don't always mean better and worse. Oftentimes they don't. And um, and, and it's, uh, it's a bit of a red herring sometimes when people try to use that by association and say, well, you know, uh, because we say that something is different, well, then they get all mad and say, well, you say it's better. I'm not saying that. Slow down, relax, okay? Uh, you don't always have to go there. But there are times when you do have to go there, okay? And this is one of those times, all right? Because when you are spotlighting the differences and you start to realize that those differences really make a difference, and they are the difference between success and failure, the difference between better and worse. You know, can you, can you turn a screw with a hammer? I'm asking. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, well, maybe. I could try. How big's the, how small is the hammer? How big is the screw? Uh, yeah. All right. Could you pound a nail with a screwdriver? Okay. Maybe. Yeah, it has been done. Okay. But there would be something that would be better. Okay. You could make do with something, but is there something that's better? And so diafurro is the verb. Uh, 1308 is the strongest number. It means to differ. And, um, we had it a couple times in, in the Galatians series. I don't recall making a big deal out of it or or even discussing it in any way. So uh if I if I uh did then uh you can remind me. But uh Galatians two six. Um when he talks about the super apostles, remember these guys? And from those who are of reputation, Paul had a had a confrontation with Peter and it wasn't good. Okay? And he had a confrontation with Peter. Peter was out of line. Peter didn't have any grace. And in his legalism, he had to be confronted with that. And um, anyway, so then Paul and, and Barnabas and Titus, they went up to Jerusalem and they, they had it out. They, they wanted to resolve things so that grace wins. And uh, so he says in verse 5, "...we did not yield in, in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation..." What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who have reputation contributed nothing to me. And so that makes no difference is uh, what we're looking at there in the, in the, in the uh, diafuro uh, word use. It uh, means to differ, okay? Makes no difference. Makes no difference. Sometimes things don't make a difference, but sometimes they do. And when you recognize that it does, you've got you've to identify it for what it is. Uh, Galatians 4.1, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. you got a little toddler, he's two years old, and you got another little toddler, he's two years old, and there's not a lot of difference between a couple of two-year-olds in diapers, okay? Or, Or whatever, right? They're just toddlers. They're just little kids. And so uh yeah you're going they're going to be together and they're going to have the same governess they're going to have the same nanny they're going to have the same uh tutors they're going to uh they're going to play together they're going to eat together I mean whatever they're just little kids they're growing up okay but it just so happens one of them happens to be the heir the son of the king and the other one is a slave and so how are they going to grow up right but now while they're just little kids there's no difference understand so that's the that's the application there and um I remember we did talk about that. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 41. Another difference that makes a difference. 1 Corinthians 15, 41. What what do you think of with 1 Corinthians 15? Resurrection, right? All right, 1 Corinthians 15. And so we got a different, uh, something different that goes into the ground than what comes up. 1 Corinthians 15, 41. Okay. And, um, got Principles there in verse 37 that talk about that. You know, you don't plant a whole tree in the ground, you put a seed in the ground, and, um, and then something different comes out. And, and so, there's differences. And in verse, there's uh, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there's uh, verse 39 the flesh of men, and the flesh of beasts, and the flesh of birds, and the flesh of fish. There's also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one, the glory of the earthly is another. All right, and we get both. We have the earthly body to start with and we're going to have the heavenly body when we get there. Notice the, he- the glory of the earthly is a glory. Okay? There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And that's the principle there. That's dia is the verb. Now, Beyond differences, and sometimes the differences don't necessarily entail a superiority, but sometimes they do. And when they do, it is ludicrous to deny so. It is counterproductive to deny so. You identify the superior for what it is. And these are the uses there. Matthew 6.26, Matthew 10.31, Matthew 12.12, 12, Romans 2.18, and our passage today, Philippians 1.10. That if we are going to approve the things that are different, we're going to approve the things that are superior. That's what we documazo. We don't documazo the inferior. We documazo the superior. Clearly. That's the whole point to documazo. And so these translations may be helpful for you as well. Matthew 6 26 We've got folks that are using this text right now and praying over it and praying over the will of God and considering different Applications. All right. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not reap, they do not gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not different? <laughs> Are you not worth much more than they? It's a scale, it's a matter of proportion, it is a juxtaposition of, of, of uh, contrast. You and birds. Okay? And, uh, and look at the birds. Look what God provides. How much more? By, on, on a matter of scale, on a proportion. You are the image of God. You know, Jesus didn't come as the, as the God bird and die on the bird cross. He came as the God man. All right? You are humanity in the image of God. Think about this. What did it cost him? What are you worth to him? And, uh, and so the idea then that, that you know, God's just going to fail you and that God's going to uh, not provide or God's going to not lead you. When you've, when you've asked for, for divine guidance, He's going to give you a snake? You ask for a fish, okay? He's not cruel. He knows what He's doing and He knows what you need. So you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. And uh, we have the, the imperative there in verse 33. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's the principle. And I love that. Like I say, we've got, uh, if you saw the email, we've got someone that's moving here from London, England, and uh, putting first things first, uh, wanting to be fed. And, um, you know, well, they figure there's housing here, there's jobs here, there's, you know, details, but, uh, but there's the Word of God. And that's what they're hungry for, and they want to they be fed. And so I said, hey, that's, uh, that's Matthew 6.33, and I appreciate that. All right, Matthew 10.31. Again, uh, in a similar thing. How many times did Jesus preach this anyway? He probably preached it a lot. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And that's, that's, that's a point. Okay, that's not a pointless thing. That's, there's a point that God knows all these things. Why does he know all these things? Uh, nothing has escaped his attention. So do not fear, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. Again, you're different. But different, intrinsically, more valuable in contrast, as a matter of proportion. Matthew twelve twelve. Here's Jesus again. He he used this concept again and again and again. And uh, of course, they're mad at him because he keeps healing people on the Sabbath. What a perfect day! I mean, it's the best day of the week to heal somebody. It's the day of release. It's the day of rest. Give them rest from their affliction. Heal them. And so here's this guy with a withered hand. And so even. They ask him the question. They said, so uh, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? They want him to, to contradict their traditions. And so he throws it right back at him and he says, well, what man is there among you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? You know, what do you do? Watch your sheep fall in there and say, oh, well, hope you're still alive tomorrow. I'll pull you out of there tomorrow. No, you pull the sheep out, right? It's the Sabbath. You pull the sheep out. Are you not worth much more than a sheep? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he threw it right back at them. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And notice they don't have an answer for him. <laughs> so he said to the man, stretch out your hand and healed the hand, which got them all mad. Matthew 12 is the hinge chapter, by the way, we've been talking about that. The hinge chapter where he stops t- uh, presenting the kingdom of heaven as being at hand. No longer does he say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the religious leaders have rejected him. The nation has rejected him. He then begins to prepare his disciples for the cross and starts to prepare for his departure. The kingdom is delayed. And uh, chapter 12 is the hinge chapter on that. Romans 2.18. Romans 2.18. What's Romans 2? think in chapter titles, Romans 1, a bunch of Gentile sinners, Romans 2, a bunch of Jewish sinners, right? Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And don't think that you're, just because you're religious and you're a, a good legalist and a goody-two-shoes and you're, that your moral depravity is any better than the chapter 1 immoral depravity, it's still depravity. And uh, you need to understand that. And so we have the uh, context for Romans chapter 2 and uh, Interesting. He says, if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law. And so this is a a verse that not only has our documazo vocabulary, but it also has our diafero vocabulary as well. You approve the things that are essential. So what makes them essential versus the things that are different? And couldn't we have used the word essential in Philippians 1 that you might approve the things that are essential? The things that are excellent. Anyway, that's uh, what we're dealing with there. I, I don't have any problem with the idea of excellence. God uses excellence again and again. We have a rete and a retas. We do have other adjectives for excellence. And I have no problem with with the things that differ, the things that are superior. The superior things are the excellent things. And I have no problem saying so. And then, of course, Philippians 1.10. So, we have um, the principle, uh, we have uh, agape love abounding more and more. We have full knowledge and discernment in point B. We have appraisal of abounding agape in point C. Finally, we have the outcome. We might be sincere and blameless. Demonstration slash approval of the excellent things keeps us sincere and blameless. And I love the fact that this came as late as it came in the sentence, that it came as late as it came in the paragraph, um, that it uh, it is a consequence and an outcome rather than a, uh, a uh, mechanism. All right? You know what I mean by that? That it is a consequence and an outcome. We have... Um, the production of what happens if you're doing the things earlier in the verse is what we're saying here. So that, alright. Again, look at the sentence. Back up to verse 9. In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in epinosis and all discernment, so that, the purpose clause is why we want abounding love, so that you may approve the excellent things. Alright, great, I approve the excellent things. Then what? What happens having approved the excellent things? In order to be. In order to be. okay, So there's a purpose clause followed by a result. Right? And if you're not achieving that purpose clause, you're not going to experience the result. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So we have the outcome. We have the result we have the effect. This is what we experience. This is, a, this is a condition that the process leaves us in. And it's a good condition to be in. You want to be in this condition. all right? But keep in mind, this is now the product. It's the result. It's the, uh, you have the purpose clause and you have the, the, the result. And that's what we're looking at here is the result. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And we want to be both these things. This is, this is the integrity of our Christian walk. This is our transparency before the Lord and before one another. All right? Sincerity. And then there's a concept that gets abused and mistaught. And, and a lot of times, instead of being a result, it gets thrown up front and made a part of the process. It, gets, it, gets, uh, it becomes a part of the... Um, it's what earns and deserves something else. Sincerity is a, is a coin, a coin of the realm in, in uh, legalism. Okay? Because you can be very sincere about something and people will go, ooh. Alright, well they're so sincere. Wait a minute. It's not a mechanism to bring about something else. The mechanisms we've already seen have been abounding agape love and the docimazo activity of the things that are excellent. So with abounding with agape love and with a, the docimazo evaluation, I'm living my life for the glory of Jesus Christ and then the result of that of course I'm going to be sincere and blameless. I'm living my life for the glory of Jesus Christ. How else would I be? You see? Cart, horse, we want it in the right order. Okay? We don't want to take the result and try to make that a a, a mechanism to try to produce something else. Okay? We certainly don't want to turn it around or find an artificial way to be sincere, to try to find an artificial way to be sincere, uh, sincere and blameless. And so if I, and see, that turns it so upside down where I'm, I'm back to being a legalist again. I want to be on my best behavior. I want to be a good person. I want to do all this good stuff. And then God will be happy with me. Turning it into a means instead of a result. This passage keeps it as a result. So that you may be. In order to be sincere and blameless, not just on the day of Christ, but leading up to that, until the day of Christ. Today, all day, every day. Day after day, as long as it's called today. And then when the day of Christ comes, I'm already there. Here I am. Sincere and blameless. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this exam. And so um, these aren't nearly as long as, as uh, the previous studies. So we have, uh, and they both start with, no, E and the A. Anyway, sincere, genuine, pure, all right? Simple. In fact, maybe even simple might be a fun translation, too. It's just, it, it is what it is. It's simple. It's pure. And um, used uh, only twice. Uh, sincerity is used three times. So, I mean, it's not, they're not longer studies like documazzo by any stretch or any of the more complicated ones. They're, they're, they're pretty straightforward and they're pretty, they're pretty, uh, pretty electronice to define. They're, they're just simple. They're just sincere terms. So E I L I K R I N E S, elite and uh, that's our adjective. 1506 only used twice. Uh, we're familiar with Second Peter 3:1, right? Who doesn't know Second Peter 3:1? This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, which, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Alright. Then uh, the noun for sincerity, Elykranea. Put the E-I-A ending on it. Like Aletheia and all these other E-I-A nouns, you get a feminine noun. Elykranea. 1505 is the strongest number. Three New Testament uses here as well. 1 Corinthians 5.8 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12 and verse 17. So again, real short terms here related to sincerity. And understand, does sincerity count for anything? Do we get brownie points for sincerity? Okay? Again, sincerity is not a means. It is a result. It is an outcome. It is not a means. And so you can't point to sincerity and say, well, at least I was sincere. All right? I think a lot of times that's an artificial insincerity anyway, trying to prove something. So 1 Corinthians 5.8 Therefore let us celebrate the feast not with the old leaven or with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And I like that tandem there. elecrinia uh, and Aletheia. Sincerity and truth. 2 Corinthians 1 Verses twelve and seventeen. You know, it's it's curious to me talking to believers, talking to people that aren't exposed to this kind of teaching, that have never seen this kind of teaching before in their life, that have been exposed to charlatans and 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 hucksters and people that are out for their money and things. Um they uh they can't believe what they found, and they're, they're they're waiting for that other shoe to drop. And they're, well, when what's the fine print? <coughs> or when is it finally going to creep? You know, I keep waiting for the the uh, the uh you know the other shoe to drop. Keep waiting for the fine print. Keep waiting for you know the other side of the coins. There's something phony here. I'm, I just haven't seen it yet. And then they keep looking and looking and looking, and they haven't seen it yet. But they keep looking, haven't seen it yet. Okay. And after a while, how long does it take? You know. Maybe after you've been here 10 years, you'll, 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 you'll finally uh, think that maybe it's real. Maybe, um, and then the, the real shocking thing too is when they look you in the eye and they say, you really believe all this stuff you're teaching? And that just flabbergasts. me. that just leaves me like, because that then throws it back in my core and I'm like, how could I not? How, could I, how do you teach 5,300 plus whatever if you don't believe any of that? Who does that? Of course, I believe it. I believe everything I say. I believe everything that's in the in the scriptures. And if I say something wrong, I'll change it and to where I get it right. If you show me in the scriptures that I got it wrong, and so this idea of sincerity and truth—you can't separate them. You absolutely can't. You can't. You can't sincerely. Well, here's the thing: Can you be sincere about a lie? I don't think biblically you can. Okay, because sincerity demands truth. Second Corinthians one verse twelve and seventeen. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. (coughs) And there you have it. There's the, the great application there. All right, and then verse 17 of the same chapter. Therefore I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purposed, uh, do I do? Uh, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes and no or no, no at the same time? Alright, was he vacillating or was he sincere? Alright. See some people, because he changed his mind, well then he wasn't sincere. Well, he changed his mind. And then, blameless. I'm just going to give this to you quickly in the last minute we have here. Apo, uh Don't don't say apo. I misread that. Aproskopos. So it's alpha in front of proskopos. It's not the preposition apo. It's not apo. It's a proskopos. A proskopos. Aproskopos. Number six seventy seven. It's used three times. It's translated blameless. Acts twenty four sixteen and in our passage today, Philippians one ten. I'm just out of time. Acts twenty four sixteen. Blameless, and even uh, the. Um, In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. So we want to be sincere and blameless, and sincere and blameless is a great thing. But it's the result, not the means. All right result, not the means. Any questions on that? If I took it too quickly, let me know. Uh, We can do question and answer on Wednesday night and take it from there. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the Word of God and how it comes alive and powerful and how sincerely we can accept it for what it is. How the the nature of the Word of God as it's uh, a genuine ministry in truth Father, I thank you for brothers and sisters that are here to grow, they're here to learn, they're here to fulfill uh, your purpose in their life. And uh, Father, I thank you for the blessings that we have to pursue biblical Christianity and not a man-made religion, not phoniness, not legalism, not anything artificial. But Father, the the sincere devotion to Christ. I thank you for the uh, simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Father, uh, just giving you the praise and glory for all that you continue to do. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. All right, this is our Fellowship